Good morning, church. It's great to be in church. It's great to be with you, wherever you are as well. And um, yes, I just want to reinforce what Pastor Wayne said. I don't think Australia understands how big the Pentecostal movement is in Australia. In fact, I read a book a little while ago that they believe it's the most successful movement in the history of mankind. 1906 until today, it's still flourishing. In fact, all throughout the world, it's more populous than it ever has been. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity during the census to also agree and say, hey, we're Pentecostal and there's a lot of us. Yeah, so let's do that. And um, we all love the census time, don't we? <laughs> ah, at least it gives us something to do. <laughs> well, glad you joined us here today at church and uh, glad that you're with us. And church, I just want to encourage you and say, it's okay. God is with you. Stay strong. Keep the chin up because uh, this too will end. We're in isolation right now in Sydney and our church is pretty well restricted and some people can't travel more than 5Ks from their home, but that's okay. This too will end. Take this time to just really take the encouragement of the Lord and allow the Lord to, to bless you and to give you peace and joy and, and uh, maybe pray, God, is there someone who really now needs an encouragement? Give them a call, drop them a note. Let them know that you're thinking about them. I think about you all a lot. And I'm often wondering who, who, who is on their own? Who, who needs encouragement right now? Well, if you do, why don't you give us a call? Drop a line to someone and say, hey, I just need to talk to someone now. It is a difficult time, but you know what? You're strong because God makes his church strong. Amen? Amen. Well, last week I started a... a our first sermon of a part two series, a two-part series, and uh, it's called The Kingdom of God Will Cost You, But It Won't. And um, I get excited about this message and I wanna do part two today. In Mark chapter one, verse 14, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is here and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news or the gospel. We've been talking about this new kingdom and I've, I've sort of been obsessed thinking about God's kingdom. And what does that mean to us right now? And I feel the Lord wants to remind us how important His kingdom on earth here right now it is. Jesus said it's available now, it's at hand. And He did say repent and believe. That word repent, I spoke about it last week, metanoia. Change your thinking. So, or actually think beyond. Think beyond what you normally think. Think about what God might be doing here and take his mindset on. Change your worldview to suit God's worldview. And think this through and believe the good news that Jesus tells us. Last week I shared a passage of scripture which has come to be known as the rich young ruler. He was a young guy, came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Fulfill the 10 commandments. He said, Jesus, I've done that since I was a boy. Jesus says, you've done really well, son, but there's one thing you lack. You're very wealthy. Why don't you give that all to the poor? He couldn't do it. He had to walk away. He said, can't do that. And Jesus turned around and made a statement. He said this, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wow, this young man missed out on the kingdom of God. He obviously knew God, he obviously loved God, but he missed out on the kingdom. 
It's easier for a big camel, big dirty stinking camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is. In fact, Jesus actually said, it's actually impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. But with God, all things are possible, he follows it up with. Interesting thing. I think God, well actually I spoke about it, I said this, God wants to put us, to put our trust in him. This young man put his trust in his riches and wouldn't let that go instead of putting his trust in God. You know, Jesus actually made that comment in the Gospels. He actually says, you cannot serve two masters. You only serve one. He said, you should, you should love one and hate the other, cleave to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. That's what he said. And this is a great example of this young man valuing his wealth over God. You see, in the kingdom is where Jesus rules and your trust is totally on him. If you're not letting Jesus rule, you're not in the kingdom. Because he's the king, right? Also said, not only does God want us to put his trust in him above all else, Jesus gives us opportunities to repent, that metanoia. He gives us opportunities to change our thinking. And I think for a lot of us, we've got to change our thinking in order to enter into the kingdom. If we think that my bank balance is everything I need, well, that's the wrong thinking. I've got to change that thinking. If I think my security is in my home or my job or my, my happiness, we've got to change our thinking. Your security is in God and God alone. My third point last week was, the kingdom of God will cost you, but it won't. And I asked that question, what would have happened if that young man had given his wealth away? the poor well according to Jesus he would have got a lot more back pressed down shaken together running over he would have found the joy of seeing others relieved of pain and suffering he would have made Jesus really happy you see it wouldn't have really cost him he thought it was going to cost him everything but it wouldn't because his faith in Christ supplies everything he ever desired that's my point in this Today I want to do part two of the kingdom of God will cost you, but it won't. Luke chapter 14. And I just want to remind you at the end of this service, we're going to be sharing communion together. So make sure you've got something to eat and something to drink and we're going to do that. But I want to share this, my take on a passage of scripture, which I've read several times in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, having a chat, obviously around a table, And uh, he asks the Pharisees a question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? (laughs) Or is it not? Well, crickets. No one said anything. Awkward silence. Jesus looks around and then he says this. When you actually are invited to something, don't take the front seat. Take the back seat. Don't take the centre stage. He said, and also, when you're being generous, don't just be generous to your friends. Be generous to those who you don't know. What he was doing is he was challenging a bunch of people, Pharisees, who were meant to represent God, who were the ones who knew God and were helping people get to know God. And he was challenging their mindsets about what's important and what's not. He said, oh yeah, just because you're invited to something, still serve others. Don't, don't, don't see yourself as the important one. And don't just give so you'll get back. Give generously as if you'll never get back. 
Then one of the guys says this, and we come to Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Wow, what a statement. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast, the kingdom of God. Maybe it was just breaking an awkward silence, I don't know. But Jesus' response is very interesting. It's like he, he sets the context of what he's about to say, the context of a feast in the kingdom of God, right? And he's about to say, let me tell you about the kingdom. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Suppose they didn't have Facebook back then. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoken of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and I want to try that out. No, nah. so I can't just come, I can't come. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, servant said, what you ordered has already been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Verse 24, Jesus says this, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get to taste of my banquet. He's talking about the banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, many scholars look at this passage of scripture and see the ones who refused the invite were the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, because they were his people. They were the ones who knew him. They were the ones who were close to him. And it was first put to them, come, come, come. And many rejected it most. So the highways and byways people, the, the broken people were the Gentiles and the peoples of the nations of the world. And, and you know what? They may well be correct. And I've got nothing against that. But I want to actually take another look at this passage of Scripture. Especially with the thought that the people who were initially invited were the people who knew him. They were the people who uh, the, the master saw as important and wanted them in his banquet. He loved them. There was a relationship there. And I want to suggest that maybe he could be referring to us, his church, his people, those who have received salvation, those who understand that we are saved by grace. And I want to look at this and, and I want to share with you what I get out of this passage of scripture. The first thing I get out of this is that God really loves banquets. He's really into feasts. It shows that I'm his son, really, I suppose. He loves banquets. You know, uh, Le Leviticus describes about 20 different feasts that the Jews were actually meant to perform every year. That's a lot, man. That's a lot of eating. They had a feast to celebrate feasts, which I think is pretty cool. Today, the Jews celebrate specifically seven feasts throughout the year. And ironically so, each one of those feasts points towards Jesus when you look at his life. And... Uh, you see feasts happening all the time and, and they gather around tables, but it's more than just a food fest. 
It's a celebration, it's a remembrance, it's an honoring, and it's also a time for you to set your focus on something. God has set feasts and banquets for this reason. In the book of Revelation, John sees a feast happening. It's the future, it's, it's eternity, and it's called the, the Lamb's um, the, the banquet or the feast of the Lamb. I used to think it was the feast of Lamb, which sounds really good, and rosemary, mint sauce. No, no, sorry, it's the feast of the Lamb, Jesus, the sacrifice Lamb. But he pictures an amazing time where so many multitudes upon multitudes of people gather. It's more than just having something to eat. They're gathering. Every tribe, nation, and tongue, as many as the eye can see gathering, and they're shouting out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. He sees this incredible feast of the Lamb, which I believe is his kingdom to come. His kingdom, what we will be part of in eternity, which is exciting. But do you know what? The kingdom is not just to one day come. His kingdom is here now. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I started thinking, is this banquet that Jesus spoke about a representation of that? It's like the Lamb's feast on earth. It's when his church, we actually come and commune with him and walk with him and, and, and eat his treasures, eat his food, eat what is his and allow it to come into our lives and be part of our lives and we celebrate and rejoice who he is. I think it is. And I started thinking, that's the kingdom. And when he's talking about a man who held a great banquet, he's talking about God who made available the kingdom to us right now for us to be part of it. God really loves banquets. He's offered a life for us to walk into that we can live, which is different to what the world offers. It's so much different. It's an alternate way of living, alternate mindsets, alternate priorities in life much more fulfilling than what we've seen before. And like I said, remember the, the, the master of the banquet wants it full. He wants it full of people. In fact, when he had a whole bunch of guests coming, he said, it's not enough. I want my house full. He loves banquets. And he loves the fact that he wants us all to walk in his kingdom. Matthew actually calls, when he describes this whole story, he actually calls it a wedding breakfast. It's a time of intimacy. It's a time where the, guest, the, the, the man who holds the wedding breakfast or the wedding feast, he knows those who he's inviting. They already have, have accepted their friendship. He wants them to celebrate what he's doing. God loves feasts. The second thing I noticed about this passage of scripture is this. Everyone is invited to the banquet. He wants it full. Everyone gets the opportunity to walk in his kingdom. You see, what Jesus did for us on the cross and rose again, brought us beautiful forgiveness, brought us healing. It brought us the ability to be called sons and daughters of the most high God. He paid the price. He got rid of the separation between us and him. 
And when we accept that and ask him to forgive us, we're saved. We are saved by faith and faith alone. There's no doubt about it. But we're invited into more than just salvation. We're invited into his kingdom, into his party. And I think when we first get saved, it's exciting, it's good, but we have a journey to live. We have a life to work out as we go. And that's why he sent the kingdom. That's why when we allow Jesus to rule in our lives, we actually enter into a kingdom and it changes everything. It's more than just being saved. It's this ability to walk with God the way he wants us to walk. We are required to navigate through a world which isn't very nice sometimes. It's pretty dark. There's a lot of nasty stuff. In fact, I think if you took God out of the world right now, the influence of Christianity out of the world right now, it would be a terrible place. We're asked to navigate. We're actually being called aliens. We're just passing through it. Why? Because we are citizens of the kingdom. But I think often we don't take that invite up. You see, living in his kingdom takes the striving out. Living in his kingdom finds rewards that you don't get in normal earth or normal life. Living in his kingdom allows me to do things I normally wouldn't be able to do. You see, in times when I'm not happy, I can still find joy. In times which that might be pressing down on me, I find an incredible peace that doesn't make sense. I remember a couple of years ago, Naomi and I were at the doctors and I was getting some test results back. And he turns around, I never thought I'd hear these words. Um, Rick, uh, you, you have cancer, prostate cancer. And I remember being amazed at the peace that flooded through my life at that time. I was okay. In the natural, it's, oh my God. But when you're walking in the kingdom, there's this peace that I can't get on my own. That's in the kingdom. And he wants everybody to experience this sort of thing. You see, in the kingdom, I find generosity I normally wouldn't be able to do. I, 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 I find love for people which I normally wouldn't be able to love. It's in the kingdom. And he wants all of those who love him to be in that kingdom. He wants his kingdom full. He wants a lot of people around that table. But we live in this world out there and we sit there and think, wow, I've, I've accepted Jesus. Is that enough? I don't think it is. Sure, you're saved. But if you really want to live the life that Christ has for you, come on into the kingdom. Walk in the kingdom. Remember, I believe the kingdom is simply down to Jesus rules. When and where Jesus rules, that's the kingdom. Does he rule in your life in all areas? Because when he doesn't, you're not walking in his kingdom. Several times I've done that. Not allowed Jesus to rule this circumstance. And I find myself living very differently to the way I want to live. But when I allow him to rule over everything, everything I have, everything I am, every situation, then I have this incredible peace, joy, love, patience, favour of God. That's where it's found. He wants everyone. He's got plenty of room. 
He wants you. Remember Jesus actually said this in, in John 15. He says, abide in me. If my words abide in you and I, you abide in me, ask whatever you want and it'll be given unto you. Wow. Now, let's not just go for a shopping list and say, God, I want this. No, 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 no. When you're walking in his kingdom, what you want, he, he knows your heart and he just brings it in front of you all the time. That's the kingdom. He wants you in his kingdom. Christian, those he loves, those he paid a price to redeem, he wants you to walk every day in his kingdom. Why would you not want to be in that banquet? Why would you not? Well, my third point is this about this passage. The thing I noticed was not everyone who believes will enter the banquet. Not everyone. Jesus actually said, those people who were invited, the original ones, will not get to eat at my banquet. I reckon that saddens God. I don't think he's ticked off. I think he's saddened by it. I think he wished that every person would say yes, but they don't. You see, there's always a reason to think, oh, I don't need to let Jesus rule here. I don't need to walk in the kingdom here. I don't need to receive that invite. There's always going to be that reason. There's always going to be a reason not to walk in the kingdom. There will be, especially in our times. When Matthew records this story, he actually finishes off with, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow. And I think about life in the life in which we live. So many people have received the invitation into this kingdom, few walk it. Church, I would pray that we, Strong Nation Church, would walk in the kingdom every day. As, you know, Jesus is the king of kings. Maybe we're the kings, queens. He's the king of kings. I actually think C.S. Lewis got something right on that one. He got a lot of things right. But many people won't accept that invite. I've got to check out my new plot of ground. I can't come, I'm sorry. Interesting thing about a plot of ground, it's a possession, something he's worked hard to get. Maybe sometimes things that we really work hard to get and we pos they're our possessions, it's like our reward. Well, they can actually sometimes take precedence over the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry, Jesus, I can't come to your banquet because I've just purchased this block of land. I've got to go check it out. Oh, but I've just bought these oxen. I've got to go and try them out, you know. Well, they would have been his employment. They would have been his career. They would have been his source of income. And sometimes we allow things like our career and our own pursuits, our income, our bank balance to rule over Jesus' lordship. And which fails, it's an excuse not to walk in his kingdom. Allowing Jesus to rule over your career. Allowing Jesus to rule over your finances and your income. Allow him to do that. It's good to have a great career. It's awesome. But you don't want the career to have you. Jesus has me. Jesus has invited you to be his, for him to be your Lord and your saviour over everything, including your career. Oh, I just got married. I've got to go and spend time with my spouse. Our relationships, that's his relationship. And sometimes relationships, we see relationships as much more important 
Very interesting, just after this, uh, Luke actually reports, if anyone doesn't hate his mother, father, children, wife, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, Jesus said. Now he doesn't want us to hate anyone. That would go against everything else he's taught. What he's saying is, if you place these things above him, you're gonna miss out on walking in his kingdom as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's not punishing anyone. He's just saying, such a person can't do this. They won't make, it won't make sense to them. I, I'm in a relationship, it's called marriage, 32 years now. I've got beautiful children and grandchildren and I love them as greatly. But Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, they're not. They don't rule over me. I don't rule over them. Jesus rules. And as a father, as a grandfather, my heart is to always show them that Jesus rules over my life, hoping that they too will find Jesus as their ruler and they'll walk in the kingdom as well. Parents, I think we have a responsibility to actually take the invite and let the kids see us take the invite. The kingdom of God is for everyone, but it comes at a price. It does. It comes at a price. Anyone doesn't hate their mother and father as I said a minute ago, you can't be my disciple, it's a price. But it's really not. You see, everyone who receives his invite must first evaluate, okay, am I prepared to pay the price for this one? Am I prepared to lay my possessions down? Am I prepared to lay my livelihood down? Am I prepared to lay relationships down? That's what Jesus actually wants us to do. But remember when he said to the rich young ruler, anyone who has done this will not, uh, will, will receive a hundredfold of everything he's given up. You see, we think we will never ever see anything like that again, but the problem is, or the, the reality is that we will, much more, if not better than that. A satisfaction, a joy that comes with it, can only come from it within the kingdom of God. A fulfilment that only God can bring. Things of this world don't fulfill anywhere like that. Just after this, Luke actually puts in the, the parables of Jesus, straight after he talks about this banquet, he puts in there, what man who's building a tower doesn't first consider how much it costs? He doesn't, otherwise he's gonna half build and everyone's gonna laugh at him. Or what man, what king planning on going to war doesn't first think, can I win this? Am I prepared to take, do what's required to win this? Do I have what it takes to do it? He said, if not, he's gonna be in trouble. What he does do, he goes and finds out what he is required to win so he can. And I think if you translate that into what Jesus is saying is, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to first, am I prepared to do this? Am I prepared to lay it down for Jesus? Because I don't want to be found short. Think that I'm in the kingdom, but I'm not. Wondering why I've got this strife happening in my life, why there's no fulfillment, why I'm bored. Christianity should be the most exciting life on planet, not the bored. Amen.
To walk in the kingdom will cost you, but it won't. You'll be more fulfilled than you'll ever be if you'll just allow Jesus to rule. Funny, um, as you know, I'm a beekeeper. I sort of mention that every now and then. And um, just this week, something happened. I wanted to relocate one of my six hives to another place so that they could have more sun, which makes them happier, makes the queen much more fruitful. It, uh, and it's more accessible to the, the flowers, the pollen and nectar that they're always seeking out. And so you've got to understand something about bees. They are highly intelligent little creatures. They can fly up to five kilometres away and then fly back, even in windy situations, and find their hive. I think that's amazing. I can't go five, five Ks and find my way back all, all that easily. They can. These little insects are incredible. However, if you move their hive just two metres away, they can't find it. <laughs> they come back to that one spot where it was and they just fly there thinking, hey, something's changed. What's happened here? Where's our hive? And they get lost, lost little bees, you know. Anyway, you know, the, the saying is you either move them three miles, five, five kilometres, or three feet, one metre, nothing in between. Well, anyway, I wanted to relocate these ones about seven metres. And there's a strategy in how to do that. What you do, just letting you know, on a colder evening, when they all go into the hive, there's none on the outside, you lock them in. You put a, a blockage into the entrance and make sure they can't get out. And then you take the hive to where you wanna relocate it. You leave them in there for a couple of days and they can survive. It's nice and warm, it's not hot. And uh, they've got enough food in there. And then you put a lot of shrubbery and grass and things around the entrance. And then you open it up and then the They've, they've, they haven't been out foraging for a long time and they come in through the, the, the forage or the, the grass and the plants and everything you stuff around the edges, the entrance, and it triggers something in their head to re-navigate. Metanoia maybe, <laughs> change their thinking. So they do these, these navigation flights where they're setting their GPS to, this is the new home. This is the new spot to live. So I go forage and I know to come back to this spot. Well, anyway, went to relocate the hive. So one night I went out there and got this piece of wood and I jammed it into the entrance, nice and firm. And I thought, you know what, tomorrow we'll move that. So the next day, Solomon and I, we grabbed that hive, we took it down to where it needs to be and we'll just leave it there for a couple of days. A couple of hours later, I thought, I'll just go and see how things are. I went out there and these little blighters, these little beasts, they pushed that little blockage, that little block out. And they all escaped and they've all gone off foraging. Whole bunch of them. So I went over and looked at where the hive used to be and sure enough, there's a whole bunch of bees just thinking, where's our home gone? This is where we're meant to be. And, and I sat down there and having a coffee yesterday, just sitting down thinking it through. And I thought, you know, I have set up for them a banquet, a place to dwell. And it's so nice. It's warm, it's luxury, it's the Rolls Royce of beehives. So much sun, they love the sun. So many plants. They, if only they were just over there, they think they're doing the right thing. They think they've got it made. They think they're in the right place. But if only they would come, I would love to invite them. Just come on over. Just come here. 
and be in this place and you will love life. But it will cost you little bees. It'll cost you to actually give up what you thought about before and come on over and take on a new way of thinking. I haven't worked out how to do that yet. Now I have a strategy in place. We're the same. God has provided this beautiful banquet for us to live in here and now. Yes, there is gonna be a banquet in eternity. I don't really know what it's gonna be like, but I just know I cannot wait. That's gonna be awesome. We're all gonna be there. But I think what Jesus is talking about is a, an image of that in life today. This banquet that you, His friend, who He has purchased with His blood, are able to come and sit around the table with our God and to, to, to commune with Him and to take on His personality, take on His heart's desires, take on His love, His acceptance, His forgiveness, His grace. You, you can do that. The invite's there. What are you prepared to give up? A block of land, oxen, relationships, don't give up your marriage, but maybe you can give up relying on your marriage to fulfill you. Maybe you can give up relying on your income to fulfill you. Maybe you can give up relying on your possessions to fulfill you. What you can do is just say, Jesus, I give these to you. You are the Lord of my possessions, my wealth, my relationships. I wanna walk in your kingdom and come around the table. As I promised, we're going to actually come around the table now with our communion. And um, Jesus, I think, did this as just a little micro image of eternity, what it's gonna be like, but also what it's like, a little reminder to walk in the kingdom now. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And what it symbolises, the cup, what we drink, it symbolises his blood that was spilt for the remission of sin. In other words, sin has no power over us anymore. We're not gonna die from sin. And what we eat, the bread, banana bread, he said represents his body that was broken so that we could be healed. It was broken by whips, thorns, fists, who knows what else. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon His shoulders. Wow. Friends, we remember what Jesus did. And what He did was an invitation into His kingdom. So I'd like today for us to add to the, the memory of remembering Jesus is to remind ourselves that He has invited us to walk with Him every day in His kingdom, where He rules. Yes, 
It will cost you, but it won't. Walk it. Christian, have you become a little bit too familiar with what Jesus has done? This is why we remember. Have you allowed other things to take precedence over Jesus? He's a reminder not to. Do you walk in His kingdom every day saying, Jesus, I want you to rule in every part of my life. Here's a reminder to do that. So whatever you've got gathered, why don't you grab that, distribute it with your family who are with you or the people who are with you. Break off a piece of something to eat. I wanna pray for you. Jesus, we remember you. We remember your body that was broken for us. Thank you. And Lord, we use this time as a reminder to say, your brokenness brought me healing. Thank you. My peace is restored because of you. And church, right now, as we remember, why don't you take that element? Thank you. Take the cup or the mug. <laughs> His blood was spilt. Sin has no power over us. This is to remind us of that. And with His blood, He purchased our life. Let's remember that. And when He said, would you surrender your life to me, Rick? I said, yes. I want to keep reminding myself to walk in that every day. Surrendered my life to Him, every part of it. That's what the kingdom's all about. Walking with Holy Spirit in the kingdom. Jesus, thank You for Your blood that was spilt. It cost You so much. But for the joy that was set before You, You endured the floggings. You endured the cross. You endured the humiliation, the spit. Lord, we remember that. It cost you, but it didn't. The reward, where, where your reward? Lord, you're our reward. We love you so much. And I thank you for this. And we remember in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup together. Yeah, let me pray for you, church. Lord, Lord, you've called us as a church to be strong. Well, we can't be strong without you. Lord, without you, we are weak. I know I am. As a church, Lord, we come together in communion at this table, the Lord's table, which represents what we'll be in eternity one day but also what we can do every day. Walk at your banquet. Walk into your banquet. Sit at your table and to relate with you. Lord, I pray that every person who hears the sound of this voice, Lord, would hear your voice calling them, saying, come, come to my banquet. I've got so much room. It'll cost you, but it won't. 
Thank you, Lord. Love you dearly. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. Love you so much. Remember, why don't you reach out to someone to encourage them? Or if you need encouragement, why don't you encourage someone else and allow them to be encouraged? And I guarantee you, you'll be encouraged too. God bless you. Hope you have a fantastic weekend.